Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Troy, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. And I'd like for you to personally introduce yourself and let people know what your first introduction to the IFB was. Sure. Well, thanks, Eric. It's great to be on your show. And I really appreciate the um, that, that you went in this direction and are looking into all these stories because growing up in the IFB, I kind of knew that I wasn't the only one, but right. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really know personally other people, but this is great. Awesome. Yeah. So it started out, my name is Troy Brostrom and I went to Emmanuel Baptist church and school in Menominee, Wisconsin. And well, first thing I want to do is just to make sure that I get this out of the way because people in the IFB movement, especially that I've noticed, they are super super sensitive and super defensive if anyone um, has any kind of criticism. And uh, yeah, so I just want to say that, you know, I'm not anti-Bible or anti-God or anti-Christianity or anything like that. Hmm. I just, I just really, I've never been shy about telling my story, but I've never had an outlet to be able to actually, you know, get it out to more than a one-on-one basis. But for years, anytime anyone would ask me, oh, what was that like? I would tell them. Right. <laughs> yeah, so no, I, for sure. I wasn't shy about about uh, telling, telling what actually happened to me. So I was, I was born into it. My parents both uh, got involved in the IFB uh, around the age of 10. Probably okay. could have been like the late 50s. Wow. And uh, they, they didn't go to the same church. They didn't know each other as kids. They went to... IFB church is about an hour away. Okay. Um, my dad went to the one that I grew up in in Menominee, and my mom went to one in Woodville, Wisconsin. And after high school, my mom went to Pillsbury Baptist Bible College in okay. Owatonna, Minnesota, and graduated from there. And then she, I, I think she just had like a regular like Bible studies degree or something like that. 
Okay. And then uh, then she went on like a missions trip in New Mexico to the Navajo Indian tribe, and she was teaching at the school there. And she decided she really liked teaching. So then she went back home and went to a regular university and got a teaching degree. And then it was about 1970, I think, was when Pastor Hansen um, became the pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Menominee. Okay. And, and in 72, I think, is when they started the school. And they just started like a kindergarten first. And then the next year, they... 73 they went to up to sixth grade and my mom was like the second or third teacher hired at that school Uh, okay that was yeah that was how her and my dad met and then uh, so yeah so i was born in 77 so that puts me at 42 almost 43 now so (laughs) but anyway the so i was born into it and i and as you could tell they you know i was pretty heavy you know like they were super involved Right. My mom was a teacher at the school. My dad taught Sunday school and was a deacon off and on. And so it was a, uh, you know, pretty heavy dose of IFB right from the start. Right. And, um, and yeah, so that, you know, that was how it, that was how it started. Okay. So would you say that, that initial, cause obviously you were seeing it more from like the staff kid perspective. So obviously it's already a little bit different, but was your initial yeah. experience positive? Did you feel like, you know, you just felt like it was, I mean, obviously starting from a young age, like, did you just feel like that was normal way of life or did you always feel like kind of uncomfortable in that world? Well, initially I didn't know any better and I just loved it. Like I thought, I thought it was great. And I kind I think I thought that all the quote unquote good people were like that because, you know, we were always warned about all the bad people in the quote unquote world. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. So I think, you know, like up until sixth grade, really, I mean, I was all in, I was all, all about it. And I, I didn't know anything different. Um, okay. And yeah, I mean, I was all, all into it. The, the only difference that I saw from myself and my brother, who's four years younger, was that him and I were allowed to interact with other kids to some degree as far as like sports so we were allowed to be like in the city you know like p-ball and little league teams and stuff like that where nobody else from our church or school was ever involved in that so like my big sport was basketball and this plays a big part in my story but when i was uh like fourth grade i played for another church school team that was in like a city league that played public schools and stuff too and that was really cool i noticed quite a bit of differences with the other kids and their families compared to the ifb bubble that i grew up in so i kind of knew at a fairly young age that there that things weren't like the rest of the world wasn't like this you know right Um, right (laughs) but but at the time, like I didn't really, that that's as far as I knew was like, oh, things are a lot different out there. But I kind of, you know, I kind of believe the, the programming that our way is the right way and the best way and everybody else is wrong, you know, right. or, or evil, you know, kind of thing. Even though that it clearly wasn't the case because the kids on the team were 
nice to me. And (laughs) so, yeah. I mean, obviously you had a recognition that, you know, you were, you know, things weren't necessarily as crazy as maybe people would preach in the pulpit is like, Hey, the outside world is, is a mess. So you got to see that there's some normal people out there as well, you know, out, outside of that kind of recognition, was there any other things that were taught that you kind of felt early on were a little backwards or maybe, you know, not a hundred percent true? Early on. No, <laughs> to be okay. honest, I, I was totally bought in and I, and I just thought that's the way, that's the way things were. Where things started to go sideways for me was seventh grade. Right. And uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church School. Oh, did you just hear that? The collective gasp coming from Menominee because I named the <laughs> church. <laughs> right. So, so what was the first, like, really negative? Because obviously, you know, there's little things you can nitpick at, but what was the first time you experienced something that was like extremely negative where it started like radically changing your, your view of the church there? Okay. So, yeah. So like these two years, everything else in, in between was continuing, but okay, I'll, I'll just get into it. <laughs> so okay. um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Baptist uh, school, church school or Christian school was basically divided up into two sections. They had kindergarten through sixth grade. And then, it was very small. Like the church is only maybe back then, I'm sure it's smaller now, but back then it was probably about maybe 150 total that would come to the church. Right. And the the school had maybe 50 kids in it, K through 12. Okay. So they would split up K through six and then like, you know, kindergarten, first and second were together, third, fourth, fifth were together, you know, this kind of thing, right? Right. And then in 7th, 8th, and ninth, we're in a classroom. 10th, 11th, and 12th, we're in a classroom. And the Pastor Hansen was the superintendent and of the school and pastor of the church. And then Mitch Nelson was the principal. And, uh, and the thing is, I remember Mitch, when I was little, he was like the junior church or children's church teacher. And I thought, I thought everything was fine, you know, like as a kid, like right. I liked him and I thought, he liked me and there weren't any problems, but seventh grade. So he would teach like seventh through 12th grade science and math. And uh, seventh grade, I remember because my mom was a teacher, she was there a lot after school and in the summer, like during the day and we'd go with her, she'd be fixing her room or correcting homework or whatever. And my brother and I would be in the gym playing basketball a lot. And I remember Pastor Hanson at one time pulling me aside this was probably sixth, seventh grade and telling me that, that I was allowed to come up and use the gym whenever I wanted. Cause we live like a half a mile away from the Got church it. and school. So, so I could just go up and use the gym whenever I wanted, which was great because I loved basketball. So I remember uh, seventh grade, maybe the summer before I'm up there playing baskets and basketball and and Mitch Nelson like he comes out to the gym and I'm in there shooting baskets and he's and he's like guy come here like I want to talk to you you know right so I go over to him and he's upset that I'm he's like why are you in here playing basketball all the time he's like you should be home like reading your bible and you know memorizing bible verses and this kind of thing right and um then he started you know and it kind of would escalate from there several times to where he would take me up to the office, open the Bible and show me from the Bible how God was upset with me because I was playing basketball instead of 
reading my Bible and praying or something. I, I, I don't really understand right. to this day what he wanted. <laughs> but, but yeah, so like that was kind of the first thing. And then in the fall, seventh grade, probably September, October, seventh through twelfth grade boys had their gym class together. So that's huge age difference, right? Like twelve year olds to eighteen year olds. Yeah. And we were for gym that day we were outside playing playing football and a now I was in seventh grade and there was a group of boys in eighth grade. There was probably like five of them and most of them are kind of bullies. Mm-hmm. So and I was small back then. So like there was an 11th grader that I can't remember. We were doing some kind of drill and like I was guarding him or whatever. And like I knocked the ball down and then like he stomped on my foot with his cleats, you know, or right. stomped on my hand, I should say, yeah. with his cleats. And so like he's like 16 and I'm 12. <laughs> and like, but like it hurt, you know, obviously. Right. So and I was like, and then like I look over and like, that everybody's laughing, like the bullies are laughing, and I, I just got mad. And I picked up the football and threw it at the kid, and like hit him in the back of the head with it. <laughs> and so, and so the teacher, who wasn't the normal teacher, he was just the sub that day. Like he obviously didn't see the kid like stomping my hand on purpose, but like right. so I got so I got in trouble and I got sent down downstairs or whatever. So like, anyways, so like anything like that was like considered like a big deal there. So I remember the next day coming to school and like being kind of cornered by this 11th grader and the like five eighth graders. And like, you know, they were threatening to kill me and beat me up and all this kind of stuff. Right. Right. And I'm like, you know, a 12 year old kid. And so, and then I don't know if it was later that day or like at some point during the week, Mitch, like, would kind of like bring me up in front of the class and like how you know that 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 was terrible what I did and that you know I needed to apologize and you know ask for forgiveness from God and all this you know like right it it was a big deal and it was a kind of a public humiliation thing and that was the first time that I experienced that Mm. and that went on I mean it just escalated from there for the next four years um so another time, let's see, seventh grade, there was, there was just so many things along the way that happened like that, where I would be, oh, so eighth grade, then the following year, that same kid who was now a senior, his brand new basketball shoes got stolen out of the locker room. Mm-hmm. So of course I was blamed for this, um, <laughs> even though I didn't do it. Right. And and again, it was the same kind of thing. Like he brought both class, you know, both classrooms together. We're all sitting there, and he's like, "Somebody pauses, looks over at me, is a thief." And like you know, and of course, every and he's like, "This kid got his basketball shoe shoe stolen, and I wonder who did it." And he looks over at me, you know, kind of thing. And then I mean, it was just. And then, like in in school and classes, like if 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 he would call on me to answer a question and I got it wrong, like he would just make fun of me and belittle me and call basically call me an idiot. He would say, 
he would roll his eyes and throw his head back and go, well, the world needs ditch diggers too. <laughs> um, if I got a question wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So like that kind of thing would go on like all the time. Mm, that's uh, yeah, that's not a great, <laughs> it's not a great last couple of years. Did your parents being, being connected to the staff, did they ever say anything or did they know that this was going on at all? So yeah. So I went, I, I, I remember going um, to my mom's room where she taught, and uh telling her about it what happened that day and i was in you know i was crying and tears and everything and and i I don't remember exactly what happened that day but this would happen several times a week this kind of thing would happen right right so and i and not to mention you know the pulling me aside after school and showing me from the bible how i was terrible and how god was going to punish me and all this kind of thing right so all that was going on in school and out of school so anyway, so I went um, and told my mom, and I think I think she did go and talk to him. And I, I just remember them saying that, well, he just says that you're overreacting and you're too sensitive and you, you're too thin-skinned and you need to toughen up. So, <laughs> and, and so, like, I mean, for the next, like, three years, that's kind of how it went you know like this stuff never stopped but right it was just kind of like well you're just you're just overreacting you're too sensitive i guess i guess public humiliation is something i should have been okay with but oh sorry no that's fine i was just gonna say so what was the next portion of your journey was it graduation or was it was it was there anything else that was happening throughout that oh, high school? yeah there was a lot okay, okay. So, so i'll jump to 11th grade then 11th grade there were a couple of things. One thing was we would have chapel two or three days a week. So it was like a okay. service during school. And I just remember one time going up to chapel and Pastor Hansen was leading the chapel. And it was one of the senior boys. And like he was in the front. And from the, the way I remember it is he kind of just like turned around and like was kind of like laughing and like put his finger up by his lips like, Shh, you know, don't don't sing, you know, kind of thing. Right. And so, like, he goes to, like, we would sing one song and then do the chapel service. And he goes to start the uh, singing and nobody sings. And uh, so he tries, like, three times and nobody sang. And then, like, he just bent us all down, um, downstairs. So we go back to the room and Mitch is in there, like, eating a sandwich or whatever, like, his break. And uh, he's like, what are you guys doing? Aren't you supposed to be in chapel? And uh, we're like, well, we got sent down because we weren't singing, you know, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and uh, then Pastor Hansen came down and and told Mitch what happened. And then Mitch comes back in the room and he's just like red in the face, like mad, right? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, what? You guys weren't singing? And like, and he goes, Troy, were you singing? And I go, no, I wasn't. He goes, he goes, I knew it. I knew this was all your idea. Huh. And like there was like 15 of us in the class you know right and um so i got blamed for that and i and so as you know like you know this started when i was 12 and now i'm 16 so this has been going on for like four or five years and i'm at this point like by the time i was 13 years old i would just shut off when the bible was talked about okay because, you know, I was shown from the Bible all the time how bad I was and how God was going to punish me, you know. Right. So, like, by the time I was 13, whenever the Bible was talked about or anything, like, my mind, would, I would just shut it off because I didn't want to hear it, you know. Right. So, so anyway, another thing that happened 
And this was kind of the last straw. So <laughs> junior year, Mitch decides he wants to have a debate in class and he kind of splits us up into four groups. I can't remember what the other two groups were debating, but our, our, our group, we were supposed to debate from the Bible, the benefits of dancing, right? Okay. So obviously, obviously, you know, IFB is fully against that. So right. my group, of course, was supposed to defend the good merits of dancing while the other group was supposed to say how bad it was. Okay. So I remember it was me and like three others and we were trying to think up because we knew what the correct answer was. Yeah, it's not easy to, to be debating a topic like that because I know for me, especially growing up in that world, like the idea of even having those conversations is kind of frowned upon. So if I was expected to actually defend that position at all, I'd be kind of stuck and <laughs> dead in the water with any of that. So yeah, that's, that's not an easy position to be in. So what was the, I'm just curious, cause you're mentioning, you know, obviously your, your, your school experience, did you have anybody at the school that you did feel like you had a open dialogue with, whether it be, you know, a friend there or staff or anyone like that? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, Pastor Hanson, definitely. I had a good, huh, okay. a good, a good relationship with him. And then another teacher there, Pastor Britt, he was a, they were both past IFB pastors, but Pastor Hanson was the one at Emmanuel Menominee. But anyway, this, this, this last thing that happened my junior year with the dance thing, we were just in that group and I, and I, we were talking and we were, we came up with two things. Like right? so we were like, well, number one is it's good exercise. And number two is uh, you can meet people that way. Right. Socially right. Or whatever. So yeah. That that was that was that was what we came up with, and yeah, Mitch just lost it and was just like yelling at us from the Bible about how there isn't anything good about it, and we shouldn't ever be right. saying. <laughs> I mean, it was just a total setup, you know, because right. he's telling us we're supposed to debate, <laughs> right? And he wasn't just yelling at me this time; he was yelling at like the other two or three kids that were in the group, and they weren't used to it, and they were all like you could tell they were kind of scared and like, you know, it was affecting them too. And like, I just remember like actually physically like holding on to my chair, like, so I didn't get up and attack him. But cause at this point I'm 16 and like it's yeah. been going on for years and I'm just, I'm at the end of my line. Like I'm just super upset and mad right. all the time at this point in my life. And yeah. like, it's hard for people to understand you know, I've been out of it for so long, but it's hard it's hard to explain to people that culture and and environment and the bubble that you live in. Right. And like you I mean, that was my entire world. Like that was my whole life, you know. Right. Um and everybody that I knew and was allowed to talk to was there and I was always pointed out as you know, as the bad kid and as, you know, don't hang around him because he's a bad influence and like you know, I mean, I had friends, but I didn't feel like I had really any super close friends. Right. And I think I think a lot of it was because, you know, of how I was portrayed right. by this guy who I've, and it's hard to explain because this guy is, um, I'm talking about Mitch Nelson, but he was the assistant pastor at the church and the principal of the school. And he's kind of like this real cocky know-it-all type where he's always right and everybody else is an idiot kind of <laughs> attitude right and but the thing is is 
and I don't know how he does this, but he can manipulate. I mean, he's manipulated that church for mm. 40 something years to where, you know, they think it's God, Jesus and the archangels and Mitch Nelson, you know, all kind of right. together, you know? So he's kind of got that place. Like, and, and it was weird. Like I, I went on to the website just recently and like, they got a new pastor just within the last year or two. And like, right. even in his little bio, like he talks about how great Mitch Nelson is. And I was yeah. just like blown away. Like it's supposed to be a bio on the pastor. And he spends like three or four sentences talking about Mitch. But, but anyway, so this happens and I'm like on the edge and I'm, I'm afraid like I'm not going to. And the thing is too, is as this has gone by, my anxiety has gone through the roof to where, when I would get called out and embarrassed in school, I would start shaking like uncontrollably. I don't know if it was just nerves or anxiety or what it was, but yeah. I I was like trembling, like shaking. I was so mad. Mm. And I after that, this last dance thing happened. I went up to Pastor Hanson, who I had had a pretty good relationship with and told him I needed to talk to him. So I went in his office and sat down and just let it all out. Like I was crying and um, mm. upset. And I remember telling him like something needs to be done or I am going to, I am going to punch this guy in the face. Like, <laughs> and I, I remember like specifically saying that I am not, I am not going to be able to control myself. I'm going to physically attack this guy. And, and Pastor Hansen was a Korean war veteran. So like, and, and I remember being in his office and, I don't remember specifics, but I remember I said some colorful language in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking like, um, oh, I'm in big trouble because I'm in here swearing. And he <laughs> didn't, I think he knew, I think he could tell that I was at the end of my rope, you know, kind of right. thing. And, and he didn't, he didn't say anything about it. All he said to me was, he's like, Troy, he's like, I believe you. And I want to thank you for coming to me and telling me this. He goes, because I've heard rumors of Mitch kind of like picking on one kid out of a group and okay. consistently picking on this one kid over and over to make an example out of him. He goes, I've heard these rumors, but nobody has had the courage to come and talk to me face to face about it. Yeah. So he, Pastor Hansen goes, I'm going to look into this. He goes, I believe you. He goes, I'm going to, I'm going to do some investigations. He goes, give me a couple of weeks. He goes, he goes, I, I can tell that you're not lying when you're saying that, that you can't take this anymore. So he said, um, from now on, I am going to sit in on Mitch's classes that he has with you and from for the next two weeks while I investigate this. So, and he did. Every time Mitch had a class, Pastor Hansen would come in and sit in the back of the room. <laughs> and it was just so funny because Mitch was just so pissed off being that, right? Right. Yeah. And and he, I think he knew why. And yeah, I mean, he would just stare, just stare daggers at, at Pastor Hansen in the back of the room. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, past, a couple weeks later, Pastor Hansen calls me into his office and tells me, he goes, yeah, he goes, I called like, I don't know, I can't remember how many people, but he said like 20 or 30 different alumni. And he goes, they all said the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And they all said that he does this. He'll pick one kid out of the class and bully that kid and just pick on him over and over. To It's like it's his one kid that he picks on in each class. Right. 
And he's like, he's like, I'm afraid of, you know, like you said, somebody going after him. He goes, or he goes, I'm afraid of a lawsuit or a class action lawsuit. And he's like, and of course, you know, IFB thinking he's like, that would give us a bad name. (laughs) And, and, uh, and he goes, you know, not to mention, you know, we don't have the money to fight a lawsuit. So he goes, he goes, I'm not going to kick him out of the church. He goes, but I am going to remove him as principal. I'm firing him as the principal. And I was just like, wow. Like, I couldn't believe it that somebody actually believed me. Right. Invest, investigated it and found out that I was telling the Yeah, that's incredibly rare. And so yeah. that's, yeah, that's, a, that's pretty huge. It was. So... I remember he sent out a letter the next day to all the parents of the kids in the school saying that Mitch was fired from being the principal and he was done. And there was a huge backlash because like I said, Mitch had this control over the church congregation. So, I mean, people were all upset. They of course were, you know, I, of course, nobody said anything like directly to my face at the church but i would just get a lot of like dirty looks and like yeah you know people just staring me down and stuff at at church because i still had to go to church sunday morning sunday night and wednesday night of course and youth groups on saturday and monday through friday school so like uh, i couldn't get away from it and uh now i've got the church people all everybody that i grew up with everybody that i know my entire life now is mad at me and like i'm the bad one you know because i right. because i you know got poor mitch fired you know poor humble mitch you know right so anyway what happened was the church mitch was still leading the uh children's church service so like after sunday school they would have like a little thing where everybody would be up in the main auditorium together and then the children's church would go down in the basement well and then Pastor Hans would do a sermon. Well, I'd say 60 to 80% of the congregation would get up and walk out and go down to the children's church with Mitch. Wow. And then Mitch would invite, you know, those people over to his house after church for, mm-hmm. you know, sing-alongs or whatever. So, like, right. Pastor Hanson, I remember him couple weeks later again calling me back into his office and saying look he goes this has caused more issue than i thought it would and he's like i don't want the church to split he's like i kind of think that's where this is going right and so he said what i'm gonna do he's like i thought about this he's like i think i'm going to because he's like you've only got one year left of school he goes i'm gonna give him a one year quote unquote sabbatical right Okay. He's like, so I'm going to basically remove him from the school for one year. That way you can graduate. He won't be back in the school. We'll try to get even with you. Right. And you won't have to, you know, you won't get in trouble for fighting or anything. And, and he goes, because if I do bring him back and you're here, he is going to go after you. And I'm like, yeah, I know he is. So anyway, so he said, I'm, I'm going to try this and see if, see how this goes. So he sent another letter out to parents saying that he changed his mind and that it's just going to be a one year sabbatical. So that's kind of where, what they stuck with at the end of my junior year is they decided to, that that would be okay. But 
the congregation still, it was just, it just got worse, you know, as uh, over the summer and into the next, my senior year, the fall. And so I think it was like a September or early October on a Wednesday night service, service is done. And usually he would, you know, dismiss everybody, but he's like, before you go, he's like, I have an announcement to make. And then he said, that he'd been there like 24, 25 years, and that in order to keep the church from splitting, he was going to resign. And he didn't tell me this beforehand. Hmm. So I was just shocked, because here I am like a month into my senior year, and the only guy that stood up for me, he's going to resign, you know? Right. And, And I knew that it was because of you know, because of me reporting what was going on. Right. And so like Mitch, like, of course, like I'm just furious. And uh, Mitch like runs out, runs out through the front door. Like as soon as he says you're dismissed and like there were people between me and the aisle because I was like shaking and like furious and like I was trying to go after him. (laughs) And, And I was like, now is my chance because he's not, in charge of me anymore anyway so i don't care you know right and like i'm I'm trying to get through the aisle way to get to him but he's like by the time i get to the front door he's already almost to his car and i just remember like yelling from the front of the church and cussing him out Mm. and uh but he just ignored it got in his car and left and (laughs) (laughs) crazy so so what was the next year like? What was that senior year like? It's crazy that this is all before senior year, <laughs> like kind of boi- hitting yeah. a boiling point that early on. Okay. So my, my senior year, they had uh, Pastor Britt be the interim principal. Okay. Who I had mentioned before was this really good, really good guy that, that was a teacher there. And I remember him saying before my senior year started that summer, he was like, Troy's like, I know this has been rough. And he goes, he goes, I know Mitch. And he goes, I'm glad you said something. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you spoke up. Right. And he's like, he's like, I really want you to have a good year this year. And he's like, so I'm going to, you know, kind of let you do what you want basically. And so, yeah, like my senior year was really fun and went really well, but what there, there was some strange things that happened my senior year. And this just, by the time I was in eighth grade, I knew that I didn't want to be a part of the IFB movement anymore. And I didn't want to, because they were always pushing Bible colleges, you know, Baptist right. Bible colleges. Maranatha in Watertown, Wisconsin was a big one. Pillsbury was was pushed when I was younger, but by the time I got into high school, they weren't pushing that one as much. But okay. they were pushing Mar- Maranatha, Bob Jones University, and Pensacola Christian College were the main ones they were pushing. Okay. And, and of course, like I was the first one from our school to ever be like recruited by colleges for basketball. So of course they were really like trying to get me to go to Maranatha and play on the basketball team down there. And I just remember thinking like, even by the time I was in eighth grade, I knew I didn't want to go to, because <laughs> I had turned it off and it was like, I didn't want to have it to have anything to do with that anymore you know right yeah so like i was recruited by like local division nca division three colleges and a couple of nai schools and i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but there was this college that played an independent schedule that played like 
40, 50 games a year. And I really wanted to go there, but it wasn't a Baptist Bible college. And during my senior year, they hired a new youth pastor. And I just remember this youth pastor kind of like taking me under his wing and trying to get me to change my mind. Yeah. And, and he was, he told me the story and I don't know if any of it was true, but he's like, you know, you have to follow God's will for your life. And he's like, and if you go into that, that if you went to that college, that would not be following God's will. Then he's like, tell me a story about something that he did that he didn't follow God's will. And then his niece ended up with cancer or something. And he was like, and she wouldn't have gotten cancer if I would have just followed God's will for my life. And so like, he was basically saying like, you know, if I go to that college, somebody that I know and love is going to die. Basically was what he was saying. Mm. And so I, and well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So getting back to my senior year, someone that you had recently on your program, Rebecca um, Palmer, she went to the same church and school that I did. And I didn't really know her because there's about a 10 year, give or take a few age difference. I'm like 10 years older than she is. So I knew who she was and I knew her story because of the, uh, all the physical, you know, and health issues that she was having when she was little. And of course, you know, I knew her mom and dad, you know, from church and everything. And, but so towards, I think it was like towards the end of my senior year, this kid that was in the school, I mean, he was like two or three years younger than me. He was like 15 Mm -hmm. and like not, and like maybe in ninth grade. And I just remember like coming home from church on a Sunday night and my parents were driving home and we were there longer than usual and talking. And they were trying to have this conversation kind of hush hush, you know, like so the kids don't hear in the backseat kind of huh. thing. <laughs> and uh, we get home and, but I'm, but at this point I'm a senior and I'm 17, almost 18. And uh, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You know? And I was like, well, kid got caught by one of the parents, like molesting a little girl in the nursery. And this kid, like I say, was like two or three years younger than me. He was like 15. And I guess the kid was like two years old, the little girl in the nursery. And see, you know, I, I know who it is, but I've never talked to her. Their family, of course, like I think the mom like walked in, I found, you know, saw it, got her daughter out of there. The kid that got caught, they they took him out of school for the rest of the year, but I don't know if anything ever happened. I just all, all of, I remember hearing was that oh he was at home and working a lot that was his punishment, and I I just remember thinking how strange that was. Right. And then I I remember hearing after that how uh, they were trying to get him back in the school and like they were trying to keep it all quiet and covered up. And then, then years later, you know, I, I heard about Rebecca writing that book and she wasn't the one that where this all came out, but you know, apparently it, it, it happened to her. And then there was, there's another girl that I've talked to since then that happened to her, but she hasn't come forward. So, I mean, I, I know, I personally, I mean, I know from this story that I know of three people, you know, that this happened to and it was all covered up and hushed up because they didn't want you know the church to look bad quote unquote right and yeah it was just 
messed up. But yeah. going back to my senior year, like I say, Pastor Hansen resigned in September, October. And then in February, they hired a new pastor, uh, okay. um, Pastor Owen. And I got three months left until I'm, I'm finally free and I'm finally out of there. And uh, Pastor Owens calls me into his office two weeks after he's hired. And he's like, um, Troy, he goes, I don't, he goes, I, I cannot get anybody to tell me what happened. He goes, but why isn't Mitch the principal? He goes, one person that I talked to did tell me to come talk to you, but nobody would tell me why. He goes, I don't know what's going on. He goes, I've got all this pressure from people telling me I need to put Mitch back in the school, put Mitch back in the school. And he goes, I don't even know why he's out of the school. Right. And like, and so I told him the whole story and he's like, got, you know, and he's all upset. He's got tears in his eyes and he's like pounding his fist on the table. And he's like, as long as I'm the pastor, Mitch Nelson will never be the principal here again. Hmm. And so this is in February. I graduate in May and like a week or two later, Pastor Owen sends a, a letter home to the parents saying Mitch Nelson will be back in the school. <laughs> that didn't last very long. In the fall. and I just and I you know for like 20 something years I've been upset about that and and but recently you know since this podcast came up and I started thinking about it again I started talking to some friends and they were like you know maybe that pastor did mean what he said at the time maybe he wasn't like just straight straight out lying to you about it and maybe he just had so much pressure put on him from you know the other people in the church that he just kind of gave into it knowing that you were gone anyway. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I think it probably did go down. Yeah. So, so just circling back really quick. So I know you had mentioned that there was obviously some abuse going on just with one of the older students. And I mean, I know we talked a little bit beforehand, but was it, was it just one of the kids that was affected? Was it something that happened repeatedly? And is this someone who's, you know, was this ever dealt with past that? Are they still in the IFB world? Like, how does that, how has that played out since? Well, and this is kind of a mystery because I, I don't think anything was ever reported. Now, mm-hmm. the girl that he was caught with, you know, where, where this all got exposed, that family just, they just left, you know, they left the church and never came back. Was she like, was she super, super young? Was she like, uh, was she like middle, like junior high age was like, would she have had any, the the girl that, that he was caught with originally was like in the nursery, like two years old. Okay. And that was the only case that was known about. Right. Until Rebecca came forward. And I think she said, and I think she said it started with her when she was about four. Wow. That's crazy. And, and yeah, how, so, I mean, how, there was like a there was like a serial child rapist in the church and school for right. years. That's crazy! Wow, yeah, that's it's weird that the punishment for that was literally just have him work from home for a little bit. Yeah, that's such a yeah, bizarre. Yeah, for like the rest of the school year, and then he was back in school that next fall and and graduated. You know, two or three years later. And wow. he never, as far as I know, nothing was ever reported. He's never been in trouble. And 
he's still involved in the churches today that I know of. In like a staff capacity or? Uh, I don't know if he is staff or not. I wouldn't know. I I haven't really talked to him in 20 years. <laughs> right. That's not necessarily so, someone you want to reconnect with. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Got it. So, um, yeah. So, obviously, in your senior year, and you end up leaving. What was the journey like after that? Was it you? you know, did you end up ever going to? I know you were looking at a non-IFB college. Did you ever end up going to a non-IFB college? Did you end up, you know, last minute switching over? Um, what was your yeah, kind of experience so, post the high school? Okay. This is a. This is pretty pretty wild too so like i ate you know i graduated from high school and i didn't i ended up not going to the college that was recruiting me for basketball because like i said this youth pastor basically said somebody i loved was going to die if i did so i got scared and didn't go anywhere and i just stayed home i i and i started i took like a class at the local university and i was working on campus and it was like everything I, I was still going to the IFP church, but only like on Sundays, you know. Right. Um and it was like everything kind of like all the illusions that were put up in front of me for years came you know, tumbling down and I went into this like deep depression mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed with major depression, um, anxiety disorder, post traumatic stress disorder. I had two suicide attempts when I was 19 and it was just like, it was like, okay, I get out of the IFB and I was told that everywhere else is terrible compared to this, you know, like heaven on earth that I was in, which as you can tell, wasn't. Um, (laughs) And the thing is, I was, I was told like, no, don't talk about this. Don't talk about this because, you know, you don't want. It's going to make the church look bad. It's going to make God look bad. It's going to, you know, we just don't, just don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. And then like, so I ha- I started having all this problems and like I started going to, to counseling and therapy and like I started talking about it. And then like, I realized like I need to talk about this and that's, and that's how I am now. Like all these years later, if something, if something happens to me in life, it's like, immediate i gotta go talk about this because i do not want to hold it in because when i when i was holding it in all those years like just the anger and the like it was bad it was bad yeah and so so i did i i went to colleges i i don't know how many i've been to i i don't have a bachelor's degree but i have an associate's degree okay and when I was 20, I went to a junior college and I was like determined I'm, I'm going to play a year of college basketball. So I just like went to this junior college and tried out and made the team and, and played a year of junior college. But my depression was so bad and I was on so many different medications. And, uh, right. But I was literally sleeping like 16 to 20 hours a day. And uh, but when I was 20, I got involved. I've always been a fan of professional wrestling and it was a way for me also to kind of get rid of some of that anger in a positive way. Uh-huh. So, so I started training for professional wrestling when I was 20 years old and 22 years later, I'm still doing it. 
And now I own my own professional wrestling company. And yeah, it's great. Gives me gives me an outlet, and uh, the stuff doesn't really bother me on a day to day basis anymore because right. it's been so long. But like when I do talk about it and bring it up, it's like it does kind of bring up some of that stuff again. Yeah. Um, but when I was, I'd say twenty four, twenty five ish, between like eighteen and twenty five, I would have constant dreams where I was back in like the teenage years at Emmanuel. And I was at that age now. So like I was 23 years old dreaming about being 13, but I was 23 sitting in the dream. And like, I would like in the dream, I would redo, recreate the circumstances and I would make it be how I wanted it to be. So it was a, it was a, I think I was just like, it was my mind working through that trauma, you know? And instead of just, Instead of just sitting there and taking it, like I would stand up and like stand up for myself, you know. Right. Yeah. Now that's um, something I, I believe it was Claire Horner. She's a therapist I had on. I believe it was her, but she talks about that idea of your, you know, your brain tries to like when when you experience a trauma of any kind, it breaks off basically a connection in your mind, and your mind will do things to try to help you re connect that broken connection and so you know that that sounds exactly like what you were doing is like trying to replay it in your mind with alternate essentially alternate endings or alternate Alternate choices endings right um that's that's exactly what i did for years right so so what's been most helpful for you like i mean obviously you know you said like i mean time time does heal some of those wounds and and it does allow you to move on and get some perspective and things like that but is there anything else that's been helpful for you in terms of you know healing and you know kind of recovering from a a negative kind of childhood experience yeah well like like i i've told people like professional wrestling like totally changed totally changed my life and my worldview because you have I was so socially inept when I got out of the bubble because I was only used to talking with people in that bubble. And when I was like 18, 19, I didn't interact with anybody. I just stayed home and slept. And then like, even on the basketball team, I didn't interact with them much, but in wrestling, like you have to interact with the promoters and the other wrestlers because you have to be, you have to fit in in order to be a part of it. So it really helped me to be able to socialize because when I was going through counseling, I remember when I was 19 and I had some really difficult stuff going on. I remember the counselor telling me like, don't be so hard on yourself. He's like, you're, you're basically socially and emotionally about seven years old, wow. even though you're 19. Right. And so it was like, I just kind of, I was like really I, I didn't develop well because of what, because of all the trauma that happened once I was 12, 13, you know, but wrestling really broke me out of that shell and I was able to meet people and I, you know, had to travel around and it was, yeah, like I think just basically getting out of that and I didn't attend, I didn't attend a church for years until I was in my early thirties. And uh, I had kids of my own and that programming kicked in. And I just remember like, you know, my kids were little, like, you know, four and one or 
five and two or whatever. And I, I just remember like hearing over and over my head, you got to get those kids in church. You got to get those kids yeah, in church. Right. So I went to a, there's a IFB church in the town I live in now in Eau Claire, which is, you know, it's like 30 miles from Menominee, but this, this guy that he went to, his name's Tim Hallett. And he went to Emmanuel when I was little. And I remember him in like second, third grade. He was a couple of years older, but he's the pastor of that church. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. It's been so long now. I'm going to try going there and going with the kids and just kind of feel it out, get a feeling for it. And I had a good feeling there. And I went there off and on. Like I was never a regular, but I'd go like on Sunday mornings once every two months or so. Right. And I, I went there for about three or four years. And I just wanted basically for two reasons the programming of got to get the kids in church. And then the other thing was I wanted to have a good experience to kind of close the door because I know I'm never going to get any kind of, I don't even want an apology, but like an, an acknowledgement of, yes, this did happen and you did the right thing. And I'm glad that you reported it, you know, right. but I, but at the same time, I know I'm never going to get that from anybody in, in a manual. They're just going to ignore it and try to move on and act like it didn't happen. That's kind of what they've done the last 25 years, even right. though like if anybody goes back and finds a yearbook from 94, 95, they would see he's not even in the faculty section. So, <laughs> right. but right. they just try to, they just try to act like it didn't happen and that I never existed, even though my brother, younger brother and cousins who were also younger said that Mitch would still get in, get um behind the pulpit and call me out by name and use me as an example of how evil, you know, evil kid, you know, kind of thing. Right. Oh, so, Years after. So obviously your experience was, you know, in a lot of ways limited to, you know, that initial church experience, but, you know, you have gotten to see, you know, a little bit more outside of that. You've gotten to spend time with people who, you know, have been involved in that movement, have conversations, find, you know, you mentioned before we started, like even hearing interviews on the show, like hearing that there's other people who experience similar things. So knowing all of this, do you feel like there's a possibility for like the IFB to ever be reformed or to change for the better? Or do you feel as though it's somewhat of a a lost cause? I think that, there are good people. And that that's the thing, too, is that my entire experience at Emmanuel Menominee wasn't bad. There were good times there, too. But the bad needs to be pointed out, and I feel like it needs to be talked about. As far as the movement as a whole, like, ever being able to... I just don't think so, because of the... They want to control every aspect of your life. And, and they do that through fear and, you know, trying to manipulate you through fear. And it's like, you can't, it just doesn't make sense to me that wanting to control somebody through fear and intimidation. Right. I feel like it seems to reflect an insecurity in your own beliefs when you have to scare other people into it, it means your, your information is probably not that compelling. Right. And it, and it's probably false. And they're afraid that if you get out and look into anything else that you're going to see that 
there's falsities in it. Right. Um, and that, that was the other thing too, is that I was always very curious about other religions and other, other ways of spirituality. And I was always told that it's all demonic and evil and not to look at anything else. And, you know, I have looked at those things and it's clearly not. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. It's just, I, I don't really think unless, unless they could get away from that aspect of it, but then I don't think it would be IFB because I think IFB is basically built on that. And it, and it's got this like institutional pride and hypocrisy built into it too, where, you know, oh, we're better than everybody else and we're, we know what's right and everybody else has it wrong. And, but at the same time, like at Emmanuel, they had all this ridiculous sick stuff going on and they just tried to cover it up and act like it didn't happen. Like, don't, you know, don't worry about the most vulnerable people in the church. You got to protect, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree there. And I, I, I've, shared the same sentiment like and i i I respect there's some people who do you know see things differently and have different opinions about but i i really struggle with the information i'm seeing and the more and more that i talk to people the more it kind of persuades me to think that it's not something that's going to be you know restored in any way i I just don't see that being something they'd even be willing to do no i don't think so either it's it's so institutionalized that that's just how you do things and um but i the good thing is is, um just from ifb churches that i've seen it seems like their numbers have gone down from when i was involved right so i think it's just going to kind of go out on its own (laughs) yeah no i I think so as well and i think the the big thing that people need to be ready to do is just to help those who are leaving it and you know who are hurt you know and that's that's one criticism i've gotten is you know why spend your time on a dying movement it's like well there's still about two million people that consider themselves ifb and there's decades and decades of trauma and hurt associated so there's plenty of work to be done and it's not all even going to be done in my lifetime so but i I appreciate i appreciate you know people like you sharing your story i think that's a big part of it and just sharing you know helpful information and and how you've move past a lot of that stuff. I think for people who are experiencing similar things, they're going to, you know, they're going to really relate to and uh, be encouraged by what you had to say. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.